What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Going Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. On today's podcast, we're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, I want to start with Oregon's newest reported coaching hire that was announced on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I want to dive into who Chris Hampton is and what he brings to the Ducks. After that, I want to get into some basketball and Oregon's big win over Arizona on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and following that, we're going to touch a little bit on Justin Herbert's unfortunate playoff loss on Saturday night. Uh, that's going to be a tough one to talk about. We got to do it. To wrap things up, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at the Pac-12 football landscape going into the 2023 offseason. Kind of break down things where we're at right now. Um, we'll also get into a little bit of recruiting news before we get you out of here. Uh, it's another good one that we've got on tap for you. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. It is Sunday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock on the Pacific Coast. Before we get into basketball, I want to talk a little bit about the new coaching hire that Dan Landing reportedly made on Sunday, right before I started recording, actually. Uh, the report came from ESPN's Pete Thamel uh, that Oregon, they hired Tulane defensive coordinator Chris Hampton. Um, this is not the hire that I expected them to make, but I, I think it's a really great hire regardless. Hampton was a former safety at South Carolina back in the early 2000s. He's got a long history of coaching defensive backs. Um, just some stats for you. Tulane gave up 23.9 points per game in the 2022 season. They averaged 6.4 yards per pass given up, uh, which was 15th in the nation. They gave up 5 yards per play, uh, which was 31st in the nation. And that was all with Tulane players on the roster, which, you know, all, all due respect to Tulane, those are not Oregon players. So I'm excited to see what he can do with, with some the level of talent that the Ducks have on their defensive roster. Um, a lot of people are going to look at that last game of the season against USC in the Cotton Bowl. And while Tulane did win that game 46-45, to they're going to be quick to point out that, yeah, Tulane gave up 45 points to USC. But my counter to that would be, you know, who didn't? Who didn't give up that level of offensive output to USC this year? I mean, with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and everything that the Trojans were able to do, I don't think that's too damning of a fact um, against Hampton and his defense because, you know, USC is a really good offense, and you kind of need to take, you know, take everything as a whole for the year. And, and Tulane had a really, really good, really good year. And the the theme of this coaching hire is kind of similar to what we've seen over the past because – you know, it's it's another rising star on the coaching staff. I mean, you look at Will Stein, the offensive coordinator. I don't think many Duck fans knew knew much about him when when Oregon hired him in December. But you know, people are excited about what he brings to the offense and what his scheme is going to look like. And Lanning, you know, he he thinks that Stein's going to be a rising star. He thinks that Hampton could be a rising star as well. You know, Hampton was named to the 35 under 35 list after the 2018 season, and there are some some rumors and reports out there that he had been offered the defensive coordinator job for Arkansas this offseason as well. Uh, whether that's true or not, he chose to to pick Oregon, and I think that that's really important for the Ducks because, you know, we've talked about this this coaching mobility and the fact that if you want to be a preeminent program in college football, you're going to have to deal with your some of your coaches and your coordinators leaving for better jobs. You want your position coaches leaving to be coordinators elsewhere. You want your coordinators leaving to be head coaches elsewhere. We saw that with Kenny Dillingham. We saw it with Matt Pallage, who Hampton would be replacing. Um, 
it's it's really important to get this depth on the coaching staff and kind of make sure that you're set up years down the road. So if, you know, let's say in two years, Tosh Lapoy gets a head coaching job somewhere for the stuff that he's been doing at Oregon or the stuff that he does at Oregon in the next coming years, I think that Oregon can then feel confident in saying, you know, Chris Hampton, you've been a defensive coordinator, a successful one at the past. You're here as a safeties coach right now, but we feel confident putting you up a defensive coordinator. They're kind of stacking the deck and building depth for themselves at that position and on that coaching staff. So I plan to look into to Hampton a little bit more as the, you know, as the week goes on, because like I said, this news came out right before I started recording. So I didn't get to do a huge deep dive. I've got five things that you should know about him up on Ducks Wire, just a, a quick rundown of who he is and what his career has been like. But as I said with Stein, if Landing likes this hire, you know, fans should be excited about it. Um, he's not given Oregon fans any reason to believe that um, that he doesn't know who's right for the job. And he's done a really good job of filling out his staff over the past year. I mean, look at Kenny Dillingham, Adrian Klim, Matt Pallage. Uh, there's the list goes on of guys that he brought in as position coaches that have been really, really incredible hires. So. Um, if he handpicked Hampton, then I think that he's probably the right guy for the job. When creating the rundown for the show, I initially planned for basketball to lead us off, uh, but the Hampton news came out right before I sat down to record. So um, let's talk about Saturday's game against number nine, Arizona. That was just a, a really, really impressive showing from Dana Allman and the Ducks and another kind of confounding result in the 2022 season. Um if you weren't familiar with what happened, Oregon hosted number nine, Arizona, at Matt Knight. And they ended up winning 87-68 to 68 was the final score. It was kind of a blowout in a, a game where I, I honestly expected a blowout. I thought it would go the other way. Um, and it's just, it, it's so confusing how many highs and lows this Oregon team can have. I mean, two weeks ago, we saw them drop that awful game on the road against Colorado. Two days later, they came out to play against Utah and won by 10 against a really good Utah team on the road. It looked then like maybe they were turning things around and we were kind of getting into the second half of the season and a classic Dana Allman team that was figuring it out at the right time. And then they turn around and they have that result against Arizona State on Thursday night where they lost by 17 points at home. And just it wasn't even just the loss against Arizona State. It was the, the lack of effort that they had and the lack of energy, and there was they weren't really defending. They weren't. I think that Dana said after after the game that he was disappointed that going into halftime they only had I think three team fouls because that shows that you know they weren't defending hard. They weren't really playing with much effort or being ag aggressive. So going into this Arizona game, I I didn't have very high hopes to be completely honest. I saw Arizona was a four point favorite on the road, and I thought that wow that. Vegas must know something that I don't because I, I think it should have been a 10-point favorite. But, you know, obviously Vegas does end up knowing because the Ducks came out and they put it on Arizona. It was a really, really impressive game. And, and you could just feel that the energy was different from the start of the game. Um, you know, shout out to the, the fans at Matt Knight Arena. That was the loudest and the most energetic I've heard that group since, you know, the Dylan Brooks years, the Jordan Bell years. Um, they, and it helped that they had a lot to cheer about. I mean, less than a minute into the game and Folly Dante had that rim shaking dunk over Kirk Risa that, you know, made waves on the internet it was on it led sports center last night, actually in the top 10. So, um, you know, it was really, it was really impressive to see the change that they made from Thursday to Saturday. One of the biggest things Altman said was that. 
Well, not even that Allman said, but Allman changed the starting lineup. He took Quincy Guerrier and Brendan Rigsby out and switched them for Nate Biddle and Jermaine Cousinard. Uh And, you know, Cousinard absolutely had, you know, the game of his Oregon career. Of course, he's only played a handful of games in Eugene, but he had 27 points, 6 for 9 from 3-point field goal range. Dante, and Folly Dante had 22 points, 10 rebounds, uh, 3 steals, shot 9 for 11 from the field. Uh, the Ducks had 13 steals. They won the rebounding battle by 10. They won the points in the paint by 10. They led in second chance points. It was just, I mean, it's its everything you wanted to see from this Duck team that is really, you know, kind of has their season on life support already. You know, they've got losses at home to Utah Valley and UC Irvine. You can't really withstand those losses and hope to get into the tournament without wins like this to pair with it. You know, Oregon's still on the outside looking in of the bubble, but one thing they have to do going forward is make sure that this win really meant something. I mean, like I said earlier, that win against Utah, we thought that could have meant something, but then they turned around against Arizona State and lost, and it was all for naught. So um, this win against Arizona can really be a turning point and really be a resume builder for them if they continue to win going forward. I mean, they've got... Four really, really winnable but semi-tough games coming up. They go to Cal. They go to Stanford this next week. That's a Bay Area trip where they tend to not play their best. Then they host Colorado and Utah the week after that. So um, those are games that you can win if they're playing to the level that we think you can. If you play the way you did against Arizona, against any of those four teams, you can win. If you play like you did against Arizona State, those are four losses right there and the season's over. So... um, I'm just really, really excited to see how this team can carry this momentum forward. And I asked Dana that after the game last night. He said, it's it's nothing that the coaches are doing. They're not coaching different. They're not screaming and yelling at the kids. They're preparing the same way that they do every single day. And the, the players just brought more energy last night. And they just kindly, kind of finally buckled down and said, hey, this is, this is not who we are. We're going to be a better team. And we're going to show it on the court. So... You know, the next couple of weeks are going to be big. It all leads to a, a February 2nd rematch against Arizona down in uh, in Tucson. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to that after the chippiness and some of the words that were said after the game on Saturday. That's going to be a fun one. And, I mean, it has a chance to be a, a huge game if Oregon can can keep this up and, and, you know, win the next four games between now and then. So. Um, let's take a quick break and come back and discuss Justin Herbert and the Chargers' brutal, brutal Saturday night in the playoffs. It's starting to feel like Justin Herbert's career is a little bit snake-bitten, isn't it? That's that's just really the feeling that I got when watching that playoff game for the Los Angeles Chargers last night. Um, if you aren't aware of what happened, you know, the Chargers were up 27-0 in the first half of the wildcard round against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They ended up blowing that lead, losing 31-30 to on a last-second field goal. It's just, it was one of the worst losses in NFL playoff history. Was a lot of the stats, the Chargers were a plus-five on the turnover margin. Um, Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars quarterback, had four interceptions in the first half. And the Chargers ended up losing it. And it it's just, you know, you could have this whole Chargers conversation. But for me, I'm just, you know, an Oregon podcast. We're going to focus on Justin Herbert. It just, like I said... It feels like his career is a little bit snake-bitten. And it goes back further than just, you know, than just with the Chargers. This kid has unmatched talent, one of the best arms in the NFL. And, you know, look at his college career. It was not, I mean, you see this NFL talent, this quarterback, 
you think that he had an incredible college career. That was not the way it was for or, or for Herbert at Oregon. He faced constant coaching changes in Eugene. Uh, he had a conservative coach, conservative play caller in Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo. They constantly were, you know, throwing screens and check downs and not really letting him run the ball. So, you know, that's why going into the NFL, a lot of a lot of analysts and fans didn't think that Herbert was going to amount to much and were thinking it was going to be a bust for the most part. But, you know, he has this incredible talent. You see what he can do at the next level. But, you know, even getting drafted to the Chargers, he has not faced the easiest path. I mean, he had Anthony Lynn as his coach, and then Brandon Staley came in, and Joe Lombardi as his play caller, and it's still that that conservative scheme, and it's like he's not getting the right the right play calling and the right coaching to succeed. And then you have to deal with the Chargers curse. I mean, it's, you know, sport fans always think that someone's out for them, and there's some, you know, mystical factor that makes them want to lose every time and makes the ball bounce against them every time. For the Los Angeles Chargers and, you know, the former San Diego Chargers, that might kind of be the case. It's, you know, I don't have a list of all of the instances in front of me, but time and time again, it feels like injuries and late game play calling and, you know, poor field goal kickers, missed kicks always come back to bite them and are always the reason why, you know, they end up not being able to get it done. And so it's just, it's really, really tough to see. It was, uh, you know, we were at the at the basketball game, at the Arizona game last night for much of the first half of the of the Chargers game. And, you know, it was pretty fun being around other Oregon beat reporters and seeing Justin Herbert go up 27-0, 27-7 into the half. And it, it seemed like he was going to get his first playoff win. And then by the time I got home and, and was done writing and just watching the end of that game, it was tough. Um, it's just, you know, it's... It's been so much fun to see Herbert thrive at the NFL over the past few years because it's really good. I mean, as a Duck fan, to see one of your own have success at the next level. I mean, we thought that Marcus Mariota was going to have this type of career, and that didn't end up happening that way. But Herbert, is, he's taken that step, and he's one of those, you know, future, you know, a lot of people throw out future Hall of Fame, future MVP player. And then when he just, you know, it's it's not all all on him. I'm not blaming him for the loss. He could have been better. Yes, there's you know he's got to take his lumps in that because there's there's ways he could have put that game away. But you know I just I can't wait to see him in a better situation because he just deserves better. Um, I would not. It has not been announced yet, but I would not be surprised to see Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, get fired after this. Um, he have a had a tough season, and there's kind of some writing on the wall that this may be the end for him. You know. I really hope they bring in Sean Payton. That's the the number one guy on the list for everybody, the former Saints head coach. And Sean Payton should want to coach Herbert in the Chargers because they've got a ton of talent on offense and defense. They've got one of the best young quarterbacks in the game. Um, It would just be incredible to see what Herbert can do with an offensive-minded coach like Sean Payton with an established Super Bowl-winning head coach that, you know, is not going to put you in these tough positions, you know, late in the game, tough play calls on fourth down. So... Um, yeah, I just, this is not something I really wanted to talk about because it's, it's not fun to talk about Herbert, this, this God in Eugene kind of failing at the next level, but, um, it's, it was just tough to see last night. And I really hope that going forward, he can, he can find someone that is best for him at the coaching. Cause I think that, you know, the sky's the absolute limit for this kid. If he has someone that's calling the right plays and, and kind of putting him in the right position to succeed. 
I want to real quickly get into some recruiting news uh, before we get into the Pac-12 overview. There's not a ton to get to here. There was a couple of visitors in Eugene this past week. Uh, Jason Brown, the number one running back in the 2024 class. Braden Platt, the number nine linebacker in the 2024 class. Both of them the number one and number two players from Washington, respectively. They were both in uh, in Eugene over the weekend for visits. Um, I have not been able to talk to Brown. I talked to Brown, confirmed that his, he was taking the visit last week. I haven't heard back from him, just kind of seeing how that visit went. So uh, maybe I'll, I will get that tonight and we can have a story up on Duxwire uh, early this week about that. But um, this is really setting up for a big finish for Oregon on the recruiting front. A lot of visits have been announced for uh, this coming weekend. I know there will be some more visits at the end of the end of the month or before signing day. Obviously, five-star Nicholas Harbor coming at the end of the month. That's probably the the main attraction for Oregon, you know, Oregon fans who are into the recruiting world. Um, there's there's a few transfer targets who have popped up as well. Um, both of them actually uh, former Georgia Bulldogs with close ties to Dan Lanning. Jaheim Singletary, a cornerback from Georgia, has entered the transfer portal. He's a former five-star cornerback. He was the number five player in his position in the 2022 class. Uh, he was the number 27 overall player in the nation this past year. Uh, his lead recruiter was not Dan Lanning, but you know he committed to Georgia when Lanning was the defensive coordinator there. So I I feel confident in saying that there's a solid relationship there. Another guy that entered the portal from Georgia is outside linebacker MJ Sherman, who was an edge rusher. He's a former four-star guy. He was the number two outside linebacker in the 2020 class, the number 33 player overall in the nation. This is a guy who his lead recruiter was Dan Lanning. Lanning was at Georgia and brought him to Athens. So you know there's a good relationship there. And what's important about both of these guys is they they play positions of need for the Ducks. I mean, we've talked a lot about Oregon's defensive line and how much better it's gotten with Jordan Birch and Brandon Dorless coming back. If they were able to add a, a former four-star SEC defensive lineman, an edge rusher that can actually come into Eugene and establish a pass rush, that'd be massive. The Ducks already got Kyrie Jackson from Alabama out of the transfer portal. If they could add a former five-star Jaheim Singletary to that secondary and just create some competition, just make it so that the guys on the, the roster right now, Dante Manning, uh, Triquez Bridges, Julio Florence, Make it so that they have someone to compete with. Make it so that they don't have just this clear path to starting. They have to really go out and earn that position. Um, you know, they Dan Lanning always said last year, iron sharpens iron. And what they need to do right now is just bring in as much talent as possible and make sure that they've got the guys necessary to succeed on that side of the ball. Um, there are still a lot of guys on the roster who I think will end up transferring out. Um, we heard... I heard right before we started recording, Cam McCormick uh, announced that he's transferring to Miami. We knew he was in the transfer portal. Um, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see over the next coming months. I know I keep saying that, but um, the transfer portal is going to keep on going and it's going to be really active after spring ball as well. But um, these are a couple of guys uh, at the top of my mind for, for the transfer portal targets. I've got a list of portal targets up on duckswire.com if you want to go check that out. But um, yeah, these guys are, are people that I'm looking at, and then I'm, I'm really looking forward to the way that recruiting ends in the cycle for the Ducks and see how many fireworks come out uh, before February 1st. Let's take another break, and then I want to dive deeper into the Pac-12. Okay, let's talk about the Pac-12 outlook in 2023. Um, I had an article come out on Sunday morning that, you know, was my, my 
Pac-12 predictions and my bowl projections for the 2023 season. And while I went through all 12 teams, I'm really going to focus on, you know, the top five of the league right now. If you want to look at all 12 and see my record predictions for them, go to ducksWire.usatoday.com. Got an article up about it, but I want to focus on the top five. And so for me, those are USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah, and Oregon State. In my mind, those are there's two tiers of teams um, specifically right there. I think that USC, Oregon, and Washington are kind of in a tier of their own up top with Utah and Oregon State right behind them, um, you know, with a, a real chance to to make some noise. But what's really great about this Pac-12 season is all of these, these teams play each other. Uh, we didn't see that last year. We didn't have Oregon playing USC, which was a, a matchup that we really wanted to see. We didn't see stuff like that, but... When looking at the Pac-12 in 2023, I currently see it as a three-team race between USC, Oregon, and Washington, with Utah and Oregon State right on the outside with a real chance of creating some chaos. Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, they should be Heisman contenders. And, you know, those three games between USC, Oregon, uh, Oregon and Washington, USC and Washington, those are going to be among the best games in the nation next year. Uh, the case for USC to win the Pac-12 is that Caleb Williams is back, and Lincoln Riley has had a chance to bolster his defense and create a more complete team. Oregon's case resides with Bo Nix's return and his expected health, while the defense has reloaded a bit through the transfer portal this offseason and should actually be pretty good if the notion that, you know, Lanning just needed his guys to actually come in and have success, if that notion has some legs, then I think they could be pretty good. For Washington, you know, Penix is going to have to prove himself as an elite and complete quarterback. You know, he has incredible arm talent, and there's a real chance that he gets drafted early in the first round next year. But the common thread between all these teams is that there's question marks on defense. You know, scoring will be no issue on offense. I expect all of these teams to, you know, be able to put up a ton of points and win a lot of games. They may be in some shootouts, but I, I feel confident that they can come out on top of those. But whoever is able to step up on defense between those three teams is most likely going to take the league, in my opinion. No matter how the top of the Pac-12 shakes out, I can't remember going into a season with more anticipation for what's to come. Again, if you want to look at the full rankings, record projections, bowl projections, you can check that out on DucksWire.USAToday.com. All right, that's going to do it for us today on Scoing Long. The plan right now is to come back with an episode later in the week, whether that be on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, I'm currently not sure. There are some things up in the air right now. Um, I hope to have some good news the next time that I come on the podcast to share with you guys. Thank you guys for listening and following along as we get this podcast off the ground. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at ducksWire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys later in the week. Until next time. Take it easy.